Good morning. I trust you're doing well. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1. And we'll be looking at a variety of verses and would encourage you to think about Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 7, but we hope to have time to get to Revelation uh, 7 as well. Um, Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to open your word and to see what you have for us. And Father, we are a people that long to yield our lives to you. And that just cuts against our DNA. But through the work of your grace and through the evidence of your spirit in our lives, Lord, um, because you have loved us to, to such a degree, it is your love that compels us. It's your love that constrains us. And we long to have a, a loving obedience to you because of the way that you have so thoroughly loved us and poured out your grace into our lives. So, Father, we ask and pray that you'll meet with us in this moment as we dig into this passage. And, Father, let us gain a perspective, an eternal perspective concerning our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I love the Lion King. I remember uh, having the opportunity to go to New York City and to take my family And um, I made sure, because I'd already seen The Lion King one time, that I was going to get a fourth row seat at the Globe Theater in New York City, and I was going to put my daughter Hallie on the the outside along the aisle. And if you've seen The Lion King in times past, you, you know why you would be so willing to do that, don't you? Because the animals come walking down the aisle, and her, um, her reaction was exactly what I wanted. She just about jumped out of her skin when those animals came walking down the aisle. And you remember the storyline of Lion King, don't you? You know, we have Rafiki and Musafa and Simba and Nala, but you also have Scar. And it's always good to have a, a, a perception of who Scar was because the darkness of the villain will always show you the greatness of the hero. And that's also true in the gospel, right? And there's personalities that are moving throughout Pride Land. And, and you remember that moment when Rafiki um, held Simba up at the tip of Pride Rock and how um, the animals on the, on the Pride Land just fell down and worshipped. But Musafa says to Simba at one point early on, he says this, all that the sunlight touches is yours. From the crawling ant to the leaping antelope, we are all connected in the circle of life. And then Elton John breaks into his song, (laughs) right? And he says, it's a will of fortune, it's a leap of faith, it's a band of hope till we all find our place in the circle of life. Beloved, we don't believe in the circle of life, right? Remember I said to you, I've been saying to you all weekend as we dug into the concept of discipleship, that we dug into the concept of ownership, that it is God that owns all. And so we begin to understand that God owns all and that our opportunity is stewardship. We really begin to understand what it means to have a relationship with God and what our role in that is. 
And then last night, we, we, we dug into the concept of what does it mean to live wisely before the Lord and to build our house on a foundation that will last forever. forever. But this morning, we're talking about perspective. What does it mean to have that eternal perspective that we're always living in the light of eternity? And the Lion King circle of life is not the perspective that I want you to have this morning because in essence, that's no perspective at all because our perspective concerning life and eternity is not circular, but rather it's linear in its approach. There was a day and time that I was in Israel with Richard Pratt and we were standing over the plains of Jezreel and we were looking at the, 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 uh, the, the, um, what would be called the Battle of Armageddon and, and Richard was reminding everybody that we're already engaged in the, the great Battle of Armageddon, right? And the four horsemen in Revelation have, have, all, have already been riding since the cross. And then Richard reminded us, life is linear, time is linear, history is linear. And he said this, and he, he had this action, that we view life in terms of creation, then we view it in terms of fall, then we in term, view it in terms of redemption, but then we view life also in terms of consummation, creation. That the Lord God created the heavens and the earth by the power of His Word. Can you imagine the power of His Word? He created the heavens and the earth, and as I said just the other day, and the sun, the moon, and the stars also. He spoke these things into being over the course, in my view, of a few 24-hour periods. That was creation. But then Adam and Eve fell in their sin. But the Lord did not leave us in, uh, in that state. He has given us a Savior, and this is the step of redemption. And we are reminded of that promise in Matthew 1.21, for you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And, but then we have the concept of, or the truth of consummation. That there's going to be a day and time in which Jesus is going to return. And every eye will see him. And he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And we begin to understand that there really is purpose and destiny to this life that the Lord has called us to. We begin to understand that life began in a garden, but it's moving towards a city. We begin to understand that life began in a garden, but God is moving in such a way that he is, that he is saving a people for himself. But we're also beginning to understand, as it says in Revelation chapter 5, that Jesus is the Lord of history, that, he is, that Jesus is the beginning of all history, the creator, and he is the goal from whom all things are made, and all things were created and moving towards his glorification because he is the center and the meaning of everything. I wonder this morning, do you have this linear approach to your understanding of life and living? 
creation, fall, redemption. And oftentimes as Presbyterians we do, but then oftentimes as Presbyterians we stop right there and we leave out this fourth step that is so incredibly important because it fundamentally informs us of who we are as men and women of the kingdom. And once again, that fourth step is the concept of consummation. Let me read for you, may I? Revelation chapter 1. Open your Bibles if you would. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And this is the second point of my outline concerning, or rather entitled, perspective. Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by the sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. And blessed are those that keep what is written in it. For the time is near. And then John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us by our sins, uh, from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we'll come back to verse 7 in just a moment. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Dear friends, listen to the content that is written for us in Revelation chapter 1. This material, the book of Revelation, it is a revelation that has been given to us by Jesus. And as Eric Alexander says in his sermon that he preached years ago, it was a revelation given to us to give us hope, not only for this life, but also for the life to come. Because he says in verse 1, um, these things must soon take place. He's reminding us that there's purpose here, there's destiny here, that we really do believe in creation, fall, redemption, but we really do believe in the sovereignty of God and that there is consummation in all things and that Jesus is not only redefining our existence, but he is giving us perspective concerning eternity that is absolutely profound and full of mystery. And majesty. Do you see it? Because listen to what he says. He says this. For from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Listen to what he's done. If you're in Jesus this morning, listen to what he's done for you. To him who loves us, he has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he is making us into a kingdom. We are priests to his God and Father, to him be glory 
forever and ever. Remember what I said to you last night? God sees us as we are. God loves us as we are. God accepts us as we are. But God will never leave you as you are. Because His work is always the work of redemption. And then Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. But then we skip verse 7. Let's go back and look at verse 7, shall we? Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on count of Him. And even so, Amen. Do you know that there's going to be a day and time that Jesus is coming back? There's going to be a day and time that he is going to rip open the blue skies over Little Rock, Arkansas and over Memphis, Tennessee and throughout this world and he is going to come back and do you know what he's doing when he's coming back? He's bringing heaven to earth. Do you know what else he's doing when he's coming back? He's bringing all the souls of the saints that have died up until that point in time. Do you know what else he's doing when he's coming back? The bodies of the dead saints will come out of the ground and they will be reunited with Jesus in the air. And Jesus is coming to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And he is bringing... um, a, a reality um, in light of the new heavens and the new earth that once again is profound and filled with His holiness and majesty. And we will be before the face of God and it will not be for a moment, but it will be for all eternity. That's what we are waiting for, dear friends. That's what we're waiting for. This is, this is why the consummation for us is so very important. Jesus didn't save you to make you a nice person. He saved you to make you righteous. He saved you to make you like Himself. And our privilege is, in light of creation, fall, and redemption, is to be working faithfully and diligently in light of the coming consummation. Jesus didn't die to make you moral. He died to make you holy and to be before his presence. Here's my point. You'll never be spiritually mature in this life until you believe in the second coming of Jesus. Never. You'll never be spiritually mature in this life until you believe in the second coming of Jesus. You'll never be a good manager of your time. Remember, we always, since Thursday morning, I've been talking about time, talent, treasure, and testimony. You'll never be a good manager of your time until you really believe in the second coming of Jesus. You'll never be a good utilizer of your talents, your spiritual gifts, until you fundamentally Believe in the second coming of Jesus. You'll never be mature with your finances and wise with your finances until you really believe in the second coming of Jesus. And we will never be consistent in our testimony 
until we believe in the second coming of Jesus because it is the moment of ultimate accountability. Can I read for you Revelation 21 and what is before you? If you're a believer this morning, what is before you? Just listen. Don't turn there. Just listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and God will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the old order of things has passed away. Are you looking forward to the old order of things passing away? Are you looking forward to the new order of things being ushered in? Are you looking forward to no more weeping, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain? Are you looking forward to being in the dwelling place with God and that that we will dwell with Him and He will dwell with us? And as it says in Revelation, He Himself will be with us and He will be our God and we will see Him face to face and not just for a moment but for all eternity. Beloved, are you looking forward to the consummation and are you spending the resources of your life in light of this consummation? For here's what Again, what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Did you hear the word? We ought to be, we should so believe the things of Scripture that we should be abounding in the work of God. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. It's never in vain. I want to call you to really consider your view of Revelation 1. And if you believe it, I want to call you to consider the consummation, not just creation, not just fall, not just redemption, but the consummation. And do you really believe it? And then I want to call you. And I want to call my own life in the same way. That as we believe in the consummation, Are our lives reflective of that actual moment that's going to occur 
in space-time history. One more verse and I'll stop. Turn your Bibles to Revelation 17. 7, excuse me. I'm going to paint a picture for you in about three minutes and I'll stop. This is Revelation 7, 9 through 17. Uh, we're not going to read all those. But in verse 9, are you there? Yes? And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, washed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you know that in a moment uh, in, in human history, there's going to be a moment in which, G, in which Jesus comes again? And as I said just a moment ago, He is ushering in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will dwell with Him, and we will be His people, and He will be our God. But do you also know, in light of human history, that there will be a time in which we will be gathered around the throne of God, and we will be standing before the Lamb. And and, and, and there is going to be a fabulous multitude. Not a few. Not just a hundred. Not a thousand. But a fabulous multitude. And, and Revelation says, the multitude is so vast that no one can number it. It makes you reflective of the promise to Abraham, your descendants will be like the sands of the seashore. From every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all languages, so vast, so diverse, so complex. And what are they doing? They're worshiping the living God. Now, what does that mean? That means there's going to be people from the Congo there, as well as people from Malawi, people from Tanzania, as well as people from Egypt. There'll be saved Hebrews there. There'll be folks from Syria there. Maybe there'll be some converted ISIS leader, uh, followers there. There'll be people from Moscow. There'll be people from Beijing. There'll be people from Germany, people from Eastern Europe, people from Western Europe, people from Norway, people from Sweden, people from Den Denmark. Do you realize that there will be people from Vietnam, people from Cambodia, people from China, people from Tibet, people from Mongolia, people from France, people from Spain and Portugal? Do you recognize that there will be people from Central America and South America? There will be people from Montana and Maine, Nebraska and New York. Do you recognize there will be people, it will be a vast multitude of every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. It will be a heaven filled with diversity. Reflecting the complexity and the diversity of God.
in all of his holiness. And we will be with him. And he will be our God. And we will be his people. And we will be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be a, it will be a victory like you have never tasted in all of your life. And my fear, beloved, is this. Our view of that is way too little. When it must, when it must begin to be much, much larger. Closing quote, C.S. Lewis says, oftentimes I feel that it's not that our desires are too strong, but our desires are too weak. For God in the goodness and the greatness of the gospel has promised to us a holiday at the sea. Yet, in our nearsightedness, we're just playing, we're just children living in a slum making mud pies on a dirty street. It's not that our desires are too strong, it's our desires are too weak. Would you have a view of the consummation? And would we begin to live our lives in anticipation of the second coming of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you. You have written to us things in Scripture that um, are absolutely otherworldly, and they are because they come from the throne room itself. But Father, you have given us the privilege of knowing you in a very deep and intimate way. And we give you praise for that. Let these truths go radioactive in our souls. In your son's name we pray. Amen.